Now this evening can we turn together to this second chapter of John. I want us to really look at the whole of this chapter tonight, but perhaps if we want to select verses, it's difficult to select one text, but perhaps can we take just a couple of verses from the beginning of each section. We'll read verses 1 and 2, and then verse 13. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So on. Then in verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And so on. Now, I'm just selecting these verses because they give us a hint of different aspects, different parts of the life of Jesus Christ. And what I want us to do is to take as the teaching of this passage, I don't know what you'd say if you were looking at this chapter on your own, what you'd say was the main teaching. But I want to take as the teaching of this passage and as the main theme of this chapter, living a balanced life. We see Jesus in quite different situations, but the same Jesus relating relating in different ways, but in what I would call a balanced way to these different situations. Here we see the balance of what I call Jesus' social life, attending a wedding in Galilee, and Jesus' religious life when he went up to the temple, to Jerusalem, to the Passover feast. Now I'm not attempting to compartmentalize the life of Jesus. That's the danger that we all have, that we say, well, this is my religious life, and I'll keep that corner all by itself on its own, and it'll have nothing to do with the rest of my life, and so on. I'm not trying to do that. As Christians... We must recognize that there are different parts of life, and yet they're not to be disconnected. They're not to be extreme, but they're to be one carefully balanced life. Now, we have a minister in the Free Church in Aberdeen. I hope he doesn't mind me quoting him, or maybe misquoting him, but... Back in the early days when Reverend Alec MacDonald, before he was a reverend at all, he used to go around playing a guitar. And his hair was even longer then than it is now. But uh, he used to sing one of his wee ditties that he sung was about uh, his teacher. Now, I don't know what you kids think about your teachers. I'm not going to ask you in case you tell me. And there's nothing necessarily personally against any teachers here present or, or in the profession in general. But there was a wee ditty that said something like... Uh, Word teacher's a strange teacher. He goes to church on Sundays. He says his prayers to ask for strength to build the boys on Mondays. Now this is part of the problem. It's maybe not the exact representation, but it's, it's part of the, the problem that people can have their religious life, but it doesn't necessarily have a bearing on the rest of their everyday life. Or the two are kept quite separate. I think what Christ is concerned to form in us 
is what he had in himself a balanced life now it is important in this respect to see Christ as our example we are I think called to look very frankly very honestly at the gospels as they open to us to see the life of Jesus not simply to learn the personal history the biography of one man but to see this this man as our own saviour to discover him as our saviour to follow him as our master but also to copy him as our example Jesus is our example and we are to study his behaviour we are to copy the balance of his life now I want us to look first of all here at the balance in Jesus social life as we call it looking at the first half of the chapter we find Jesus at a wedding now I was asking this morning how many of you have been to weddings or if you enjoy going to weddings we find Jesus at a wedding and there are three things I think that we learn from this particular episode and the miracle that was performed at this wedding in Cana in Galilee the first is this that Jesus supports God's moral order of marriage now that may not seem, sound strange to our ears but there's some ears that it, it would sound particularly strange perhaps even obnoxious to that this figure of Jesus simply supports what they regard an outdated kind of status quo and yet as God Jesus had originated a marriage he had ordained marriage in the beginning when he made man male and female and now by his presence at this wedding in Cana he is giving his seal of approval to marriage he is saying this is God's way this is how it should be he supports God's moral order it's a moral order that was there given for man's good to create and to maintain family life now the reason I come to this is very well to my mind it's fairly clear and it's fairly necessary there are many people who think that marriage is some outdated kind of custom that we can do it or we, we may not do it according as to how people feel in themselves now, Jesus does not think that marriage is outdated, then or now. Jesus does not sanction some kind of free-for-all. And yet we are living in a society that in a sense is, is clamoring for this sort of approach, this everybody do their own thing philosophy. In our society, marriage may be either avoided, it may be for the purposes of tax or social security, or maybe for some other uh, convenience of life. It may be avoided, people will live together without being married necessarily. Marriage may be attacked as something that is, is harmful, they would say, for society and unnecessary. We look around and we see the number of, of divorces increasing from year to year the proportion going up all the time 
we have advocated in our society unnatural partners. A man can virtually live with a man and consider themselves as much a couple as any man and wife properly married. We read the strange news about a judge in America saying that a brother may now marry his sister. Now I do not know the particular case. But even the suggestion is against the natural law. And it's against the biblical law as well. We see all around us family life decaying because God's institutions are being attacked. They are being undermined. And what we see in this episode of Jesus attending a wedding is not simply something by the way. This is Jesus sanctioning God's way. He is supporting God's moral order in marriage. He is supporting the ideal of the family life around which society is structured and upheld. You take away family life, you knock down its, its place and its value. And you are knocking down society. You are demolishing society. Now if we are following Jesus. If we are saying he is our example. He is calling us to be morally upright. In the way that he was. To follow God's order of things. He is asking us to support marriage. Not necessarily to get married. It's not a Christian necessity to be married. It's not a Christian necessity to... To applaud every kind of marriage. It is a Christian necessity only to support marriage as God's normal way of things. If we are going to have a, an adult a relationship of body, mind and spirit. He is asking us to support family life. As the normal channel through which God works and which God blesses people. We were saying that last Lord's Day evening. The importance that God places on the family structure and on family life and as the means of his blessing. Not only the individuals in the family, but blessing society. This is God's gift to us. This is Christ's pattern to us when he supports God's moral order of things. Now there is a second stage as it were when we look at this wedding that Jesus as well as supporting God's moral order, it's not simply there just to keep the rules Jesus went to this wedding, why? well he was invited but he went to enjoy himself he went to enjoy himself he demonstrates in attending this wedding he demonstrates freedom of conscience and behaviour now I want to try and get this across. Jesus had the right to enjoy God's gifts. And not only did he have the right to enjoy God's gifts, he exercised, he, he used that right. Jesus wasn't inhibited. There may have been some people perhaps in his own family circle or perhaps back home in Nazareth or perhaps in Galilee or perhaps some of the Jewish leaders who thought of this this fellow is, is out of order. He's going over the top. He shouldn't be allowed to do these things. Jesus was not inhibited by rules that were outside God's rules. He was not cramped by the traditions of the Pharisees. 
Now, I don't know whose wedding this was. Nobody does. There are, there are speculative suggestions. Some say it was the, the apostle who wrote this, this, let this uh, gospel, John himself. We don't know, and it doesn't matter. We may guess it was some family connection of, of Jesus, that his mother was invited, and because she was going, Jesus and his disciples were also asked to come along. But we may guess this, and with more certainty, that Jesus was not only just there, he enjoyed himself when he was there. Do we ever picture Jesus enjoying himself? Well, we were talking this afternoon uh, with friends about this very thing, about Jesus having a sense of humor, Jesus being able to have a laugh, Jesus being able to, to see the, the bright side of life and enjoy clean, balanced humor. That he knew that laughter was a medicine because he himself prescribed it as such within his own words in the Old Testament. These are not separate characters. Jesus said there is a time to laugh as much as there is a time to weep. Now if, you, if you, we understand the, the, the pattern of a wedding in Israel in Jesus' day, they were fairly lengthy, festive occasions. People were there to enjoy themselves, not just for an afternoon or an evening. They were there for maybe a week at a time. You still get this in some of the North Islands with people enjoying themselves over extended celebrations. Well, that's what it was like. And that is, if you like, why the wine ran out. There wasn't enough for, for, the, for the amount of festivities that were going on. Now, Jesus went there. He knew what was involved. But Jesus didn't boycott this wedding. He didn't say to his mother, look, I, I, I simply can't go. Do you not know who I am? What would the world say if the Son of God was at a wedding? And, and there's drink there? He didn't boycott it. He didn't stand back. He didn't protest and say, this is wrong. I'll only go if you don't have any drink like that. He didn't make any protest. And he didn't simply go under sufferance to endure the experience. He went to enjoy it. He wasn't only present there. He was the one who provided the, the, the wine. The very best of the wine. And now you can do your own calculation on this. That's your homework for this week. You can work out just how much wine Jesus produced. But there were six large tanks. Six storage jars. that would hold between 20 and 30 gallons. And they were filled to the brim of water. Jesus turned them all into wine. The very best wine. I work out something around the region of of perhaps 500 litres, imagine, of the very choicest wine that you could get anywhere. Jesus was there, he didn't only see it being drunk, he provided it. Now I am not advocating drunkenness, and nor is Jesus advocating drunkenness. He is the same Jesus who says that wine wine is bad, can be bad for us that strong drink may, may be a mocker to us, that he may lead us astray Jesus was very well aware of that, but he also said there was a place for wine wine is given as a gift of God to make the heart of man happy and Jesus was taking a balanced approach to life, to the enjoyment of life he wasn't advocating drunkenness but what he was doing was this he was saying to us as our example that we have a right to be involved in this world socially. 
so that doesn't mean to say that all Christians suddenly go out on a spree and on a round of parties here and there and live it up and let their hair down and forget their Christian responsibility. It simply means that we are not tied in, that we see that we can have a place in this world where we can be relaxed and feel at home and where we can enjoy ourselves. Because it's God's world and everything that is in it is God's. The earth and all that it contains belong unto the Lord. And if it's God's world, he has given it first of all, I say, to his own children. And they shall eventually inherit the earth. It's ours to enjoy. God gives us that right. Jesus shows we have that right. And so he demonstrates the freedom that we are to follow. We are to follow our Christ and we are to follow our conscience in enjoying the freedom and demonstrating the freedom in our conscience and our behavior. But perhaps if I can give you my quote for this week it would be this. We have talked about Jesus suggesting to us, showing to us that we must uh, support God's moral order of things. Well, this is my quote. That being moral doesn't mean being a killjoy. Have we got that? You see, there are a lot of people who are going by God's rules, but they feel so inhibited, so bound in, that they are not relaxed, that they are not open, that they are not able to enjoy life. They are not even able to smile. <coughs> they have to dress in a certain way, and they can't crack a joke or listen to a joke in, in case somebody would, would be offended. But being moral doesn't mean to say that we are killjoys. It doesn't mean being a killjoy. It means that, that we, can be, we can follow God's rules, but at the same time, we can enjoy ourselves. That's a balance in life. Now there's one third, one last thing that we discovered about this wedding. And Jesus tells us very clearly why he was there. Tells us in verse 11. After he had performed this miracle, it's John records that this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, Jesus, as part of his balanced life, reveals his glory. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means that he is showing who he is. He is showing, he is demonstrating that he is in fact the Son of God. How did he show he was the Son of God? He was able to change water into wine. The very best wine. Now that's quite a normal process. Except it takes yonks to do. What is, what is wine? But it is the water that is within the grape eventually coming through the process well what Jesus did was to speed up that process of the normal natural process of nature and he showed his control over nature and in so do he showed that he was not any ordinary man but that he was indeed the son of God he revealed his glory he showed that he had a command over the forces of nature he showed that he had a care for folks that people mattered to Jesus right from day one. He wasn't somebody who said, oh, they've run out of, why not? Tough. 
I couldn't care less. He cared for the situation. He cared for the embarrassment of the host and, and the, the problem of the bridegroom and the, the disturbance and the festivities. He cared for people. Now remember that Jesus performed this miracle not if you like in a church or in a synagogue or in a religious situation. He, he showed his glory, he revealed his glory in, the, in an ordinary social context. But Jesus asks us to be his followers. He is our example. What does he ask of us here? He asks this. That we are to show, and I say this carefully, we are to show our glory as Christians. The great privilege that is ours, the position that is ours, as being also the sons of God by adoption. We are to show the world whose we are and whom we serve by our involvement socially in this world. Do you get it? That's what Jesus was telling us here. He was not only saying he was there at a wedding and he did something within this, within that situation. He, he performed a miracle and that was the beginning and the end of it. He's saying this is something you can follow. I revealed my glory. You also show the world who you are. And show it not just by, by going along to church on Sunday. That's great. Yeah, come every Sunday. Bring other people with you. That's terrific. But show the world the glory of being a Christian. Who you're working from Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday as the case may be. Show them at home. Show them amongst your neighbours. Show them that you belong to Christ. The glory of being a Christian. The balance, I think, in Jesus' life, in his social life was this. That he was on the one hand morally upright. He was at the same time free to enjoy life. And he was at the same time responsibly and caringly involved in society. Now that's a balance that not only Jesus had, but he says we should follow. Now can we turn to what is in effect the second half of this chapter more or less. To see the balance in Jesus' religious life. And can I say again, I'm not trying to divorce these two as if they were two separate lives. They are not. We see Jesus at the temple. And this is the same Jesus. The Jesus that we, a couple of weeks ago, were talking of as the light. John tells us that he is the light who has come into the world. Now Jesus is shining his light on another area of life. He is showing what, how we should be within our religious life, let's say. Now some people, in reading this part of John chapter 2, where Jesus in the temple say that, oh, this man is very extreme. This man is really going over the top. This is not somebody we can follow. Now no doubt, there is a contrast. And that's the striking thing about John chapter 2. That's why I want to take it together. There's a contrast in the behavior of Jesus at the wedding and Jesus in the temple. But it's the same Jesus. And what we see is still a balanced life. Now let's see that more, more clearly. 
How do I say that his life is a balanced religious life? People would say he was imbalanced. Well, the first thing is this. The balanced religious life is that he loves God's house. Can we get that? He loves God's house. Jesus loved Jerusalem. I don't know if any, how many of you love Edinburgh. Maybe their heart supporters are more likely to. Some people love Glasgow better. They maybe belong there. Or they love somewhere else. Maybe their hearts in the humans. Well, Jesus, though he was born in Bethlehem and he grew up in Nazareth, he loved Jerusalem. It was God's city. And he loved the temple. And he loved the Passover. And that's why he wanted to be there. Because God, his Father, had asked his people to go and observe the Passover annually in Jerusalem. And he went. He loved God's house. Now this is a very vivid scene that we read here in John chapter 2. Perhaps we didn't read it vividly enough. And it's a very strong reaction that we see here from Jesus. Indeed. But this strong reaction was by a man who was in love. Can we get that? People think he's just a crank. He's just a fanatic. He's one of these religious freaks. But this was a man who was in love. In love that was with God his Father. And in love with all that his Father created and gave to this nation. In love with God's house. Because he loved God. He did not want his Father's house to be turned into a marketplace. Can we understand how Jesus felt? I think it must ring some chord of sympathy and understanding in every born again Christian heart that we have something of the mind of Christ that we understand why he went and he got these cords and he bound them together and made a whip and lashed out and overturned these tables and chased these money changers out of the place some people think it's wrong to be angry at all God never said it's wrong to be angry. God is angry with a sinner every day. There is an anger that is wrong. There is an anger that is sinful. There is an anger that's over the top. But that is not what Jesus was doing here. He was showing his love. First of all, his love for God. For his father's house. You see, he had a zeal. That is where John and the other disciples recognized what was written way back in the book of Psalms. That the zeal of your house will consume me. He had a zeal, he had a passion. I think often that as Christians we, we somehow lose our passion if we ever had it. We try and hide it, we try and keep it in, we we're afraid to show it. The strong feelings, the emotions. Christ showed his. He had a passion, he had a zeal for his father's house. He had a passion that God's name and God's house would be honored and not desecrated. Now can I ask you this question? Do we love God's house? Do we? When we sang Psalm 84, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts to me. That's how Jesus was feeling. That's exactly what it was in his heart and mind. Do we love God's house? How do we feel about the church? 
Oh, we like coming to it. It's, not, it's a nice building. The folks who come are quite a decent bunch of people. And, well, we put up with the sermons. And otherwise it's okay. And the cup of tea is good afterwards. But I mean, do we love God's house? Do we? Do, do we feel for God and for God's glory? Do we care for the well-being of the church? And I don't mean just the fabric of buildings. Though there is something in that as well. It's not just the buildings. Do we care for the people who are God's church, his own chosen people? Do we care for the worship of the church? Are we bothered about how we sing ourselves? Are we bothered if we are not praising God when we come together? Do we, do we care? Are we concerned for the advancement of the gospel, for the cause of God in the world? Are we concerned that other people will hear the good news? Are we bothered about the church enough? Or is it just somewhere we, somewhere we go on a Sunday and that's it? Do we get hurt in our own spirits? Do we get angry when God's name and God's honour is despised and spoken badly of? Do we? Does that hurt us? It hurt Christ. You see, it's not extreme. It's not extreme. Jesus was not some Jack Glass figure of his day. He was not some kind of megalomaniac who thought of himself in some fantastic, outrageous sense far above his place. Jesus was a balanced person. And as such, he was taking a stand for what was good and for what was right and for what was true. Not for all this terrible carry-on of people just making a fortune at the expense of others by selling animals overpriced for sacrifice and getting far more than their share of interest when they exchange the money rates. It's not extreme. It's not extreme, but it's balanced to stand for the defence of what is true and right. As long as long as we are not promoting our own self, our own ego and our own opinion, but that our concern is for the glory of God. Jesus loved God's house. Jesus loved God's name. And he wants us to do the same. Part of his balanced religious life. And Jesus also looked forward to the resurrection. Now I say that because that is what we have here. You see the Jews came up, they tackled him. They came rushing at him. What right have you got to be doing that? Who gave you the authority to come in here and upset all this place and all these people? Show us a sign that you have any right to be here at all. And Jesus said, well my sign is this. That you will destroy this body, this temple I should say, and I will raise it up in three days. And they said, <laughs> And they looked around the magnificence and the solidness of that temple that had taken 46 years to build in the same rubbish. In their minds, they said, rubbish. And they didn't understand, nor did the disciples then, that Jesus was referring to his, the temple of his body. He knew that one day these same people who were objecting to him then would object to him more. They would take him. They would try him. They would condemn him. They would kill him. But that was not the end. 
Jesus was going to rise again and he was looking forward to rising again from the dead. He was looking forward to the resurrection. But what do we make of that? As Christians. I would say this. That this man who was so involved in the world, so much at home, if you like, in the wedding of Cana of Galilee, so much at home in the religious structures of this world, happy to worship God in his temple in Jerusalem. The man who was so much at home in this world and involved in this world still saw beyond it. You know what I mean? You see, the Christian is always in this kind of, of tension and almost dilemma. Now, where do we really belong? And the fact is we belong to places at once. We are citizens on earth. We have a, a responsibility and a function and a place here. But we also have another life to look forward to. And it's vitally important if we're maintaining a balanced Christian life that we keep both in mind. Both. We cannot be so otherworldly that we forget our responsibilities here. And we dare not get so bogged down in this world that we forget that there is another life to come. Understand? We have two lives. Two worlds, if you like. And we must be involved here. But we must look beyond this world. Beyond this life. Beyond the resurrection. A balanced life is one that takes the next life into account and not only so but we live our lives in the certainty of the resurrection you know if you've ever stood beside an open grave and you lay perhaps a, a, a loved one to rest within, within their grave and perhaps the, the preacher the minister whoever will say in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection and to everlasting life to all who believe in Jesus and it almost becomes a kind of religious wording for the occasion. And we, then we go back and we go about our normal way of life and we forget the sure and the certain hope of the resurrection. We forget that this life is only this life and it is short at best. We forget that there's another life to come. And we have to live this life. In the light of the life to come. In the light of the resurrection. That's not a dreary thought, is it? It wasn't for the Apostle Paul. And it wasn't for Jesus. It's not that Jesus was in a hurry to escape the world, nor, nor Paul. Except that they had a longing to go beyond the grave. And that's quite normal. That's quite balanced. That's not absurd. That's not extreme. That's what Christ expects of us. That we look forward to the resurrection. Because he did. Are you with me? A normal, balanced Christian outlook. Is it yours? Is it yours? One last thing. When Jesus in his balanced religious life loves God's house and looks forward to the resurrection... He also elevates the importance of the inner life. Now, can I just explain that? Can we read verse 23? <coughs> while, he was, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, 
Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. And what do we say to that? Pretend the chapter ended there. Pretend verses 24 and 25 were in there. What do we say? Hallelujah! It's great! All these people recognize Jesus. All these people want to believe in his name. Isn't it great? Revival! And you know Jesus wasn't taken in by that. What do we read? But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Why not? Why not? Why did Jesus not believe this, this profession of faith? It's because he knew the inside reality. He knew what was in a man. And he knew the inside reality, not just the outward profession. Now that is important. I think it's a reminder of us. You, you, you know the story of how King David came to be king. Yeah, the children know that, the young people know that. Who was it that anointed David to be king of Israel? Samuel, did it? So why did he choose David? David was the youngest, he wasn't necessarily the best looking of the bunch. He had other brothers who were bigger and seemed better, even to Samuel, even to God's man. But God had to tell Samuel, when he was choosing King David, he says, that God doesn't just look on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. But that is always God's way. And that is what Jesus is saying here. What is important is not the outward appearance. What is important is the inner life. It's what we were saying this morning. Is our heart right with God's? You know you can dress up to go to church on Sunday. And you can sing your psalms as well as anybody else. Or if you go to another church you can sing hymns as well. And if you go to certain churches you can clap your hands and do all sorts of things. And you can be part of a church and you may, you may seem a very decent person on the surface. Your outward appearance may be great. But God is concerned about the inner life. Jesus is concerned about the inner life. What are we on the inside? How is our heart before God? That's really the question. It's not just a dressing up. It's not just a sounding religious that matters. We can all do that. God knows we can all do that. But God also knows the reality of our heart. And he wants our heart to be true. He wants our heart to be right. He wants our inner life to be connected to God, to be in line with God, to be going God's way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Not simply the respectably religious on the outside. Part of the balanced Christian life. See, the balanced life is not just the outward tune. The balanced life is the inner reality. And this Jesus calls us to follow him. Plain and simple. To follow him with balanced Christian lives. That we are on the one hand morally upright. That we are at the same time enjoying the freedom that God allows us. 
enjoying life that we are responsibly involved in society that we love God's house that we are looking forward to the resurrection and that we have a heart an inner life that is true to God now you have to take all of these together to get the balance of what God wants us to be if we are going to follow Christ indeed if we are going to be like Christ he wants us to be well balanced Christians and can I say tonight if there is anybody here who has not come to this Christ what Jesus is really saying what Jesus knows about you well perhaps I dare not say I do not know except he knows everything about you he not only knows your circumstances he knows your life he knows your heart he knows your feelings he knows your if you're running away from him he knows if you couldn't care less he knows whatever it is but he also knows this that if you turn with all your sin and all your misgivings and all your misunderstandings and all your confusion and all your questions and all your doubts if you come to Christ in your sin he will give you a new heart and a new life and he'll do it tonight and this Jesus will make of you eventually a balanced person a balanced Christian someone who will be like himself like him with him for all eternity that is if you come to him and come to him now now may God bless this truth to every one of us can we just bow our heads as we pray together <coughs> our gracious Lord and our God we bless your name for the wonder of your truth for the way that you show us and teach us things and Lord we thank you if there's many of these things that we have heard and known before but Lord we thank you for every refreshment of understanding and for every new insight and Lord we thank you for Jesus for his perfect life his balanced life and we thank you Lord that he is calling us he is inviting us to come to him to know him to follow him so that we also may be balanced and may be better Christians that we may be his and that we may be like him forever draw us each this night to Jesus and may we walk with him always Amen